Will you stand for the reading of God's word? This is Jonah 4, 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Welcome to Grace and Peace. If I haven't met you, it is a pleasure to have you here with us. And uh, you can ask me any question you want afterward. That is great. And we appreciate just uh, interacting in that way. One of the things that Grace and Peace has the opportunity to do, we're coming up on two years here on March uh, 7th of meeting here as a church, even through COVID-19, which is awesome. But one of the things that God has enabled us to do is to start taking ownership and leadership of this church. And so uh, some of the ways that we've done that is, is there's many people who volunteered as leaders in those roles. But now there's this office uh, that officers for the church to care and pray for the, the, the church itself. And so we are taking officer nominations starting on uh, this this Sunday, today, the 21st, and going all the way to March 23rd. And so who do you consider for officer nominations? This is the way I put it. Who would I want to hear, if I was to confess my sin, who would I want to hear that? Who's the person that I would say, if a friend came to me and say, hey, I'm having just trouble with this, who would I recommend? to give advice, to give wisdom to. That's the person you would want as your officer. So it isn't so much about how much theology they know, but it's more about their character. And do they exemplify God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness? Do they have his type of ethos? And so as you think about nominating people, think about those type of people. Ask that person if they would be willing to serve in that capacity for the church. And then turn in the nomination forms that are available through the email that comes out on Thursdays. And we will make them available also on uh, the website if we can. But we've been going through the book of Jonah. Jonah isn't just about a big fish swallowing a man, which is kind of cool if you're into that sort of thing. Especially the vomiting part if you're a kid. You're like a fish vomits out Jonah. I want to see this in live action. But rather, this is a book that is telling the people of God, particularly the nation of Israel, to repent from their sins. And it's doing it through the back door by showing how these people who are supposed to be the ungodly sinners are the ones turning from their violence, turning from their sin. They're the ones repenting. And yet Jonah, the actual you know, religious person, the person who's supposed to have it all together, he is the one that is not turning He's not changing. And God is bringing through providence and through sovereign mercy and severe mercy at times, storms into his life. 
trying to get him to wake up to his reality that he's got sin in the heart. That he's the one that needs to turn. And so Jonah works as an archetype for the nation of Israel to say, this is what you're like. This is what you're like. So the Ninevites stopped their evil, but now Jonah is filled with it, is what our text says. And that's where we are today. But I need to let you in on a little bit of our family. You see, my wife says that we live in a fishbowl. And she's right. She's right. As soon as it gets dark and the sun goes down outside and the lights go up and the dishes pile up in my sink, I wander over to the sink and inevitably there is one little child who will teeter up to dad and be like, yo, dad. And I'm like, what's up? And she goes, can we have a dance and of course, what am I going to do? I'm going to get the phone out and the speaker, and we are going to have a dance party while I am doing the dishes. Okay? And so everybody who's walking outside on the fifth busiest street in all of Colorado Springs, Platte Avenue, can look inside and see crazy dance moves. And I mean, they are fly dance moves. We are talking about the shopping cart, the sprinkler, the Carlton comes out, the running man, and it is hot. And of course, we are not listening to songs like the waltz. Oh no, we have got to have something by which we could do the robot to. Songs like the Beastie Boys and Intergalactic. That, those are the songs that you will hear in our house. And we will dance freely to it, free of judgment, knowing that my kids are not going to be kicked out because they might have some lame dance moves. And instead of looking like the worm, they look like a hamster having a seizure on the floor. But it's cool. And that's the way the dance moves work. Free of judgment, having lots of fun. You see, what Jonah's life is doing for us is exemplifying a life that is missing the rhythm of the song of the gospel. He's doing the wrong dance moves. He's doing a beret when he should be doing the Bernie. Okay? That's the way it should have been going. There's a disconnect for Jonah. He's got these wrong dance moves. You see, what he believes to be true about God was not what he was doing and the way he was acting. What is happening in our text is Jonah is getting an object lesson about the heart of God and realizing that his life is out of step with God's heart. He's finding out that his dance moves were out of step with the gospel, which is the good news of God saving sinners. Jonah displays a heart that is out of step with this good news. In Hebrew, it says that he was filled with evil. Instead of rejoicing at the turning of sinners, instead he is pouting on the sidelines because God would have mercy on people like you and me. On people who've messed up. On people who don't have it together. On people who cry out for mercy. Jonah sits and pouts. Notice, though, God's kindness to outsiders was received now as evil to Jonah. 
And this is causing the misstep. There's a disconnect between his head, what he believes and what he confesses is true, and his heart, what he truly loves. You see, he has doctrine, but it's a compromised doctrine that is messing with his heart. He's got teaching, but he doesn't get God. Most of the Christian life is this. It is the reconnection. The re-syncing of the dance moves to the rhythm of God's song and the gospel. It is the recalibrating of head and heart so that they work together seamlessly. And it is manifested in our hands in the way that we live it. So what is Jonah's problem? It is obvious that his doctrine isn't according to the song of the gospel. He can't hear the music right. He lacks this integrity between head, heart, and hand, which is the state of almost the whole, whole of humanity. He's got strong moral principles, yes. But Jonah displays that he's a completely divided and hypocritical person. He lacks the fundamental integrity between his head and heart. The problem for Jonah is that his doctrine is compromised, which leads to a hard heart and will cause him to have some very whack dance moves. We're all called to repent like Jonah. And we're all being confronted. We're all being confronted for our whack dance moves in the dance of life in the story of Jonah. For the Christian and the non-Christian alike, we must reckon with the ways that we live in contradiction, don't we? Think of it this way. Some of us may not believe that there is a God who exists. And we're free to do however we please, but we go on living and requiring everyone to live rigorous, moral, upright lives. Think about it this way. Some of us want to be free from authority and act as if that is the one true authority that everyone needs to listen to. You need to listen to my authority. That you can be free to do whatever you want. Some of us want pluralism, but we're completely intolerant of any exclusive truth claims. All the while proving that they believe that they're holding the corner on exclusive truth claims. Yeah, let me put it this way. We rail on people on Twitter. Yet, we want to tweet about unity. We want to be authentic. Yet, on dating profiles... We stretch the truth just a little bit. We want quiet in our house, but we'll yell to get. We want romance, but we'll never give up our freedom. We want to be known, but only on the terms that we want us ourselves to be known. We're declared saints by God, but yet we still live as sinners. You see, if you can't live according to the conclusion of your premises, the premises that you formed and base your life on, and you're living in contradiction, then what is it that we have to do? We have to go back and look at our premises. And that's what Jonah is trying to, that's what God is trying to get Jonah to do. Go back. Look at your doctrine. What you got when he asks that question, do you do well to be angry? And so all of us are confronted with that question now. There's a disconnect between our heads and our heart, and it's seen and manifested in the work of our hands. And in order to figure out what's going on, to start answering that question, we need to know two things. Sound doctrine ought to lead to a soft heart. 
But compromise doctrine, compromise teaching, will lead to a hard heart. Or let me put it this way. A soft-hearted person will have better doctrine. A hard-hearted person. I can tell you right now, they've got something wrong with their doctrine. Even if they've got an MDiv, PhD from the greatest theological seminary on God's in God's galaxy, which is Covenant Theological Seminary, just putting that out there. You know, even that person, if they are hard toward other people, reveals that there is some doctrine wrong. Sound doctrine leads to a soft heart. What does God save save his people for? Usually is what I ask a lot of people. So let me put it this way. I will ask people, why does God save you? And of course a good Presbyterian will be like, well, of course, Vincent. It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Which I say, yeah, cool, you're right. But what does that look like in everyday life? To which they look at me like a deer in the headlights and as if they have never thought beyond what the Westminster Shorter Catechism has ever taught them. Which is fine. But what does this look like? You see, God, the people of God are enlisted into God's mission. They are saved for the sake of his mission. Good doctrine is for the sake of mission. That means we are called to live out the doctrine of God's initiating love by caring for those in our homes. Not by being overbearing, not by demanding perfection, but by extending grace and imitating God. At work, we are to bring our creativity our service and sacrifice and care to bear, to be born out in our workplaces, and then that way we imitate God. We are to imitate God in all places so that he would be known amongst all people. We see in Jonah's life, though, that this is the opposite. He's not imitating God. Notice God has mercy. What does Jonah do? He gets out on the hill, and he starts praying and pouting, and basically, he's like, come on, God, nuke him. Nuke him. Oh, my goodness. Please get rid of him. But yet, it is, he becomes angry because God has mercy on them. He repents. Uh, the Lord, we see God relenting from destruction on them because they repent. Here, Jonah, he's evil. He's obstinate here. The religious person of the text is the one who refuses to repent even after God is merciful. But the ones who are the sinners in the text, they repent, which teaches us it is the needy. It is sinners. And people who readily confess their sin and readily all the time check what's under the hood, those are the people who are the most open to God's grace. You know what we call that? We call that humility. Those are the people. And so God calls his people to reflect that into the world. Exodus 19, God's people, they are to his treasured possession, to be a royal priesthood in a holy nation. Peter adds in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
In Leviticus 19, God tells his people to be holy as he is holy and then gives them instructions of how to live justly in society. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of our own doing. This is a gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. We are saved for the purpose of his mission. The church does not exist to be a country club. But it exists more to be like an aircraft carrier. Not nuking people but dropping the bombs of love on people. Sound doctrine is doctrine that shapes God's people to be more like Him, loving sinners. Why? Because God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. And that's what becoming more Christ-like is like. It is becoming, as He did, becoming what you want to save. So that they and he become so that we become more like him, truly alive. Paul tells Timothy to hold on to the teachings and doctrines that I have passed on to you. Because it was these basic doctrines that form and shape God's people for mission and is visible for us in technicolor in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jonah, he brings this prayer, and his prayer's all jacked up. Jonah's demonstrating that God is still approachable to him. You see, Jonas is a ball of contradictions. He gets some things right, and he's obviously doing some things wrong. And when you look at Jonah, he, like that is the life of any saint, isn't it? A ball of contradictions. He's correct in his assessment. He's got really good uh, doctrine. He quotes back the words of God from Exodus 34. He stops, though, before saying that God is to let the guilty go unpunished. Why? Because, G because Jonah now stops like, I don't know if you are actually going to punish the guilty. But in Christian doctrine, justice goes on the, ones, on the one who is undeserving. That you and I, the people who deserve God's justice, got his grace. Because Jesus on the cross got the justice of God. And there he becomes the just and the justifier, as Paul says in Romans 8. So where's this disconnect for Jonah? He was festering evil in his heart because God spared the bad guys, the sinners. And he wasn't realizing that he too is a bad guy. Good doctrine realizes this. It realizes that the people who are receiving the doctrine, you and I, you and I are sinners too. And every faculty of our person is corrupt and can be used and will be used in order to try to get ourselves off the hook 
and prove that we're okay and good without God. That's where the disconnect. But there is no room for boasting in Christianity and believing that we're any better than those who are not Christians. Because we believe the Christian life is by God's grace. Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is the power of God in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. A soft heart toward others is a sure sign of good doctrine. Our sound doctrine tells us we are sinners, but yet we are loved. It gives you the freedom not to perform. It gives you the freedom at times to try something, but you're going to end up having some really weird whack dance moves. And you're not worried about what other people are, are doing because this is the dance moves of the community. This is the way it goes. You know, we need grace and we need doctrine and it'll take a long time for us to reintegrate head, heart, and hands. Till then, we're going to sound like a bad love song that goes on about our heads not lining up with our hearts and different things like that. We'll be always dancing a little bit out of rhythm until this Christian life is ended. But the Christian life is lived by turning up the volume to the gospel and letting the base of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection get into your bones so that you move better to the rhythm. And how do we do that? The Bible tells us, the ordinary means of grace. What does that mean? Ordinary means of grace. You see, Jonah does a little bit of it. He prays. He comes and believes that he has access to God. He believes that he can come before the Lord and pray. God meets us in our prayers. God also meets us in our worship. And we learn to inhabit the ways of grace, the gracious life. Because we come before him, we're called by his word, we confess our sin to him. And what does he do? Does he kick us out like a, like a dodgeball? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't drop kick us out of his home. He declares our pardon and forgiveness through his word. And in the person of Jesus. And then we were renewed by his word. And we received his sacraments. Which are visible signs of his grace. Tangible elements of a broken body. Poured out blood. His life and love going to you, undeserving people. You see, we need these ordinary ways, and we need to grow in these habits. And it is through God's gracious providence in our day-to-day -day lives that he's going to reveal that we have messed up dance steps in our, in our world. That we aren't hearing the music rightly. But the greatest sign that you've been transformed by grace is evident in how you treat sinners. God loves sinners. The compromised doctrine leads to a hard heart. Jonah's filled with anger. He's got spite for what God has done. And God approaches him 
and he approaches us with the question, do you do well to be angry? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. He's not, he has no right to be angry. God is gracious and merciful to him. How can he not, Jonah, be gracious and merciful to others? And that is what God is trying to show to him. And he does it through his providence. He, in verses 5 through 10, we will see God revealing to Jonah his wayward heart and his messed up dance steps. And he's going to show back to him that what Jonah has in his compromised doctrine is a vain idol. He, Jonah is trying to be saved. By trusting in some created thing or something that he could do with the work of his own hands to get him off the hook and to make himself superior to other people. And how do we know what was going on? Because God reveals to us what our idols are by our anger. Whatever angers us reveals the idol. You want to know what your vain idols are? I want you to remember the last time you were angry. Start thinking about that. Start thinking about your, the last time you were angry. At that moment, what were you trying to protect? What were you afraid of losing? What were you afraid of losing? Was it your reputation? Was it your comfort? Was it the idea of having perfect children? Was it... I mean... What was it? At that moment, your body, your person, your hands are starting to say, I can't live without this one thing, and that's why I get angry and defensive. I need it. And 99% of the time, it is never righteous anger, is it? We get angry for the most silly things. We'll see Jonah get exceedingly angry because a gourd that grew up over his head was scorched by the wind. And he's like, I'm so sad over this, this gourd that you scorched in the wind. And then the Lord's like, you're sad over that? What about all these people you want me to annihilate? What's wrong with you? You see, for me, what was it? You know, thinking about the last time I was seizing with anger. You know, I thought it, what, what it was was that someone didn't agree with me. They didn't see things the way I did. And so I'm like sitting there seething with anger. And I thought about how dumb they must have been that they couldn't possibly understand. Okay? Yes. Yeah, pastor boy over here, preacher boy gets angry too. And I have these little vain idols that God wants to root out of my heart. It reveals that I value my ability to reason, to be right, more than I value kindness and grace. That's what happens. I got threatened, I got angry. My idol was threatened, I got angry. When your idols are touched, you get angry. What was threatened for Jonah? For him, it was his country. The continued existence of Assyria meant that it was a threat for his country. In a word, his idol, his compromised doctrine was what? It was nationalism. The protection of his country over all others. He believed his country was superior. He believed that they are the ones who had the good doctrine. 
But real, true, sound doctrine would have shown him that God chose Israel for the sake of others, for the sake of mission. But there he presumes upon God's grace and he's looking down his nose at everybody else. Whatever causes us to look down our noses at others is what we will protect whenever we get angry. He believed that everybody else was sinners but him. Whatever makes you feel superior than others, that is our core doctrine. That is our vain idol. That is what we look to to make us valid. And we will protect that doctrine at all, at all costs. It could be our reputation, our social media presence, our knowledge, our parenting, our grades, our communication style, our children, our finances. But by God's providence, like with Jonah, God's severe mercy and his love will root those out through the occurrence of providence. He covers his anger in, in this prayer. And what does he say to God? He says God's words back to him. He says... That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. But he forgets to say, but you will not let the, the guilty go unpunished. Do you know what Jonah has just done to God? He uses God's words against God. You know, in modern terms, we call that gaslighting. He is crazy-making God. Jonah gaslights God. He tries to spin the narrative, his own words, against him. Jonah is trying to get the upper hand. Jonah is trying to control the narrative. He's trying to justify his sinful actions, and he's using God's words against him. The Pharisees would do the same to Jesus. They believed that God owed them because of what they did. They had a vain idol that was trusting in their efforts and their ability to keep the law, which kept them in the covenant. And so therefore, God, by his steadfast love, he, he would have to save them. But that isn't the way you're saved, is it? You see, here Jonah is trying to match up the dance and the performance, and he's trying to perform for God and say, God, you should be on my side because your word says so. Let me put it this way. A number of years ago, one of my mentors with me, was uh, we were chatting. We were chatting about doctrine. Good doctrine, too. You know, and I'm starting to get into this idea of reform theology and Calvinism, and all those things, right? And then I started by kind of saying just how terrible and bad other people are in their theology. And my mentor, in the most Calvinistic way, looks at me and says, Huh, that's funny. Vince, do you think you are any better or any more worthy of God's grace because you know doctrine? To which I smartly said, well, it doesn't hurt. You know? <laughs> that isn't the point. I had my Jonah moment. God is trying to approach me through providence, working with this gentleman who is a mentor of me. 
And he's trying to say there's a dividedness. You don't have any integrity between your head and your heart. If you actually believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, how do you look down your nose at other people who don't agree with you theologically? How do you not just pray for them? Be gracious to them. You see, the way of being a hypocrite is in us all. We all have mixed up things we believe and love and do. And it is only by God's grace that we get things put back together. God reveals the idols of the heart through our providence and renews us by those ordinary means of grace that we may inhabit the actions and ways of the world, that we may be trained. We may be trained to be God's people, to reflect his goodness into the world. You see, Jesus proves to everyone the way of true integrity, the integrity of head, heart, and hands. One that not only loves sinners, but dies for them. He did this by becoming like us and dying the death that we should have died. Jesus is the true basis of sound doctrine. That from beginning to end, the Christian life, all of life, is by God's grace. And we see that and we're confronted by that on the cross. The integrity that we lack in our lives that would make us hypocrites was put on him. And he lost all integrity, all soundness of mind, body, and soul when he was crucified on the cross for a bunch of hypocritical, wayward sinners. And if you confess that he died for you, in your place because of the hypocrisy of your heart then he is for you and you're beginning to hear the music of the gospel let us pray oh lord and god would you please by your mercy turn our missteps into dancing that we may reveal your goodness Help us to get at the heart that we are sinners deeply in need of your grace and mercy. That everyone we look at and look down our nose at, help us to realize that it should be there go I, saved, but the grace of God. Lord, transform us now in this sacrament. May your grace, mercy, and love come to us in tangible ways. In Christ's name, amen.